That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. I want to start with the crisis that we're facing right now. You know, T.S. Eliot in his poem, The Hollow Men, said, you know, this is the way the world shall end, this is the way the world shall end, not with a bang, but a whimper, if I'm remembering correctly. That's also typically how authoritarian, strongman kinds of leadership end. You know, Mussolini whimpering and running and, you know, ultimately being hanged upside down. Not that I would recommend that to anybody here in the United States, but that's what happened, you know, you know, when Mussolini went down. Hitler committing suicide. You see these guys, you know, who are so happy to put children in cages and oversee the death of hundreds of thousands of people in their own countries. But when it comes time for them to face the music or even just, you know, face losing an election... Yeah, they just start whining and whimpering. And with Trump doing this, looks like this is how the Trump administration or the Trump, whatever you want to call it, presidency is going to go out is with a whimper also. But there's still the possibility that it could go out with a bang. If you read Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, that in the days before Hitler committed suicide, he had ordered his army to turn their guns on Berlin, to level the city. Because, you know, I mean, they were at that point recruiting 12-year-old boys into the army. My friend Armin Lehman was 15 years old when he had been recruited two years earlier into the German army via the Hitler Youth, and he delivered that news to Hitler that the war was lost. And, and Hitler, you know, had demanded that his army kill Germans, kill their own people, because they didn't fight hard enough for him. And that's the going out with the bang part. Now, the German military refused to do that. When Richard Nixon was on his way out, I believe it was his defense secretary. If you get any orders from President Nixon, don't execute them until you talk to me. He was afraid that Nixon was going to like nuke Hanoi or something as a way to distract Americans from his crisis or even, you know, escalate a war that might keep him in office. Well, frankly, I have the exact same concern that Trump might do something like this. And if he tries to start a war with Iran, for example, which is probably one of the top candidates, Iran is an ally of Russia. Or if he tries to start a war with North Korea, they're an ally with China. And we could end up in a nuclear exchange with a, with a nuclear-powered, a nuclear-weaponized country And nuclear winter could lead to the end of all human life on Earth. I mean, those are how high the stakes are. This is not some, you know, crackpot MAGA Yahoo down the street who's waving his Nazi banner or his Trump flag and has a gun stuck in his belt or an AR-15 thrown over his shoulder. This is a guy who has nuclear weapons and has the power to use them. And the other thing that we've learned is that the majority of the Republicans in the United States Senate are so frightened of this man or so believing in the cause of fascism and so hating the idea of an American republic that they're going along with him. Only one of them voted to impeach him, Mitt Romney. A year ago, when Adam, actually it was a year ago, day before yesterday, when Adam Schiff was on the floor and Hakeem Jeffries 
saying, if you don't impeach him now, he's going to do even worse. And as God is my witness, they were right. Trump has now made over 150 personal contacts to elected Republican officials, governors, secretaries of state, members of the House, members of the Senate. Over 150 Republicans have got a phone call from Trump asking them to help him stage a coup in the United States. And a few of them have said, sure, I'll help out. And others have said, well, I don't know what I can do. And then they just shut up and went away, which is, you know, helping out. If ever there was a moment that we needed the 25th Amendment invoked, the 25th Amendment, which says if the president is impaired, if he can no longer perform the functions of his presidency, and Trump is not doing anything, he hasn't had a security briefing in 28 days. He's not showing up for work, he, other than to, to have meetings with, with Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and Michael Flynn. And the 25th Amendment says when the president can't perform the services of his office, or in this case, you know, I'd say he's mentally impaired, then the vice president has to notify Congress that the president is impaired, and the cabinet, a majority of the cabinet, has to vote with the vice president to have the vice president replace the president. Now, I think under any other circumstances at any other time, this would have already been invoked. But we've got Mike Pence as vice president, who is so far up Trump's back. Well, I don't even want to go down that road. We've got Mike Pence as vice president, who is a spineless wimp, perfectly willing to go along with fascism, just like the Vichy French or the, I forget what they were called, the Norwegians who went along with Hitler. He's just, yeah, I'm sure, no problem. So as far as I can see, and maybe you have an idea that I'm missing, maybe there's something I'm looking at I'm not seeing here. But it sure looks to me like the only way out of this over the short term, I mean, we've got basically 30 days. Or maybe it's 29 days now until Donald Trump is no longer president, which is a little over 600 hours. But in that period of time, he could do enormous damage. So I think that reaching out to Republican senators or to Republicans in general, any Republicans you know, and saying it's time for Mike Pence, you know, please reach out to Mike Pence. I realize it's a thin read, but hey, you know, the guy used to be a right-wing talk show host. Oh, yeah, that makes him even more disposed to being a fascist. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't see what else we can do. This is a dangerous time that we are living through. We have a madman in the White House. And he's having, you know, remember the movie Downfall, you know, about Hitler's last days? If you haven't seen it, it is absolutely brilliant. Downfall. It's subtitled in English, it's done in German, it's just brilliant. And that's what's happening right now. Judge Sullivan, Judge Emmett Sullivan, he's a district court judge in D.C., and he's been overseeing the Michael Flynn case all along. He's the one who, at one point, a year, year and a half ago, something like that, said something to uh, Michael Flynn, you know, to the effect of, it sure looks to me like what you have done is commit treason. And he reiterated that in court as he was essentially, I guess, dismissing the charges against Flynn because of the uh, pardon. Sullivan is still saying that he's not quite ready to let go of this. I, I honestly don't know how this is going to play out, and I'm not sure anybody does. And if you do, if you know something I don't, you know, feel free to give me a shout. But this is what Sullivan told Flynn. This is from Raw Story by uh, Travis Geddes. It was just published this morning. The headline, Judge Unloads on Michael Flynn. I can't hide my disgust. He says, I'm going to be frank with you. This is Judge Emmett Sullivan, federal judge for, I believe, well over a decade, I think almost two, speaking to Michael Flynn in court. He says, I'm going to be frank with you. This crime is very serious. I cannot hide my disgust, my disdain at this criminal offense. 
Arguably, he talked about Michael Flynn selling out America to both Turkey and Russia. Be paid a half a million bucks, as I recall, by Turkey to get what they want and then becoming national security advisor while he was still taking money from Turkey and then covering stuff up for Russia for, for reasons that are still, as of this moment, unclear. But anyhow, Sullivan, speaking of that, says, arguably that undermines everything this flag over here stands for. Uh, the article goes on to say, Sullivan repeatedly noted that Flynn committed his crimes from the West Wing of the White House. It was being reported in the press, and I retweeted the uh, raw story version of this story. Uh, in fact, their headline was, Bombshell Report, Jared Kushner set up shell company that diverted campaign cash to Trump family members. In that article, they said it was $617 million. The New York Times has now weighed in. Shane Goldmacher and Maggie Haberman writing for the New York Times. The headline, Laura Trump served on the board of a company through which the Trump political operation spent nearly $900 million. Laura Trump, this is the first paragraph, Laura Trump, President Trump's daughter-in-law and a senior campaign advisor, served on the board of a limited liability company through which the Trump political operation has spent nearly $900 million since 2019. And then it goes on to say the company, it's called American Made Media Consultants. One of the board members is John Pence, the nephew of Vice President Mike Pence. Now we know why Mike Pence is giving Trump tongue baths at every opportunity. He's probably pouring millions and millions of dollars into Mike Pence's pocket. Of course, Laura Trump is the wife of Eric Trump. <laughs> the Trump people are saying, oh, there was never any ethical or legal reason why they couldn't serve on the board in the first place. This is what Tim McMurtaugh says, a spokesman for the president. Right. There's nothing wrong with this. We're just going to take $900 million. I, I mean, it's, a, it's amazing when you think about it. You know, the Trump campaign, Donald Trump declared his campaign open for business. Typically, presidents don't start campaigning for re-election until at least after the midterms, until at least two years into their presidency. Then they will set up a campaign committee. They'll start raising money. Sometimes, sometimes they do it a little earlier than that. It used to be, I mean, you know, decades ago, they didn't start doing it until, after the, until around the time of the primary season, the third year of their presidency. But Donald Trump opened his campaign the day after he was inaugurated. Might have even been in the afternoon he was, was inaugurated. It was one or the other, but it was, it was within 24 hours of taking the oath of office. He opened a, an account, a checking account, and a committee to start receiving money. And right now, one of the things that a lot of Republicans are really bent out of shape about is that Trump is, you know, I've gotten six of them now since last night. Since I went to bed last night, I've gotten six emails from uh, Laura Trump, from Don, from Don Jr. Uh, the headline was, I hope my, I, you know, I want me, my father to see your name, uh, or words to that effect. Um, several of them from Donald Trump himself, help us save Georgia, don't let them steal Georgia. Every single one of these, when you click on the link, yes, I want to donate, it takes you to a page, and if you scroll down to the bottom of all this fine print, you see that 75% of the money is going into Donald Trump's slush fund, which apparently they've pulled $900 million out of so far. 75% goes into Donald Trump's slush fund, and 25% goes into Rona Romney McDaniel's slush fund over at the RNC. Money that is, you know, basically Mitch McConnell's to use as he wants. This is beyond grift. This is beyond scam. This is beyond corrupt. This is, I mean, you know, one of the, one of the big characteristics, one of the main characteristics of a tin, tin pot dictator of, of a country where the guy running the, and it's almost always a guy, where the man running the country is also on the take big time, is that hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars get diverted out of the country into the leader. So that when the leader finally flees, like Idi Amin did from Uganda, I was in Uganda as he was fleeing. I was in the Philippines when Ferdy Marcos left town. In fact, I got bumped off flights every day after day after day. I was there almost two weeks longer than I planned to be because I couldn't get a flight out because all of Marcus's people were fleeing and, I, and they were all going to Hawaii and I was trying to get out to Hawaii. I mean, I've seen this first, you know, right in front of me, firsthand. 
They steal everything that's not nailed down and then they run. Which raises the interesting question. Now that the Trump family has apparently stolen $900 million out of the money that, that was raised to help get Republicans elected, A, does that explain why Trump didn't get reelected? Does that explain why some Republicans lost their races? But B, where are they going to go with the money? And as Mike Pence, I mean, his, his nephew is on the board of this thing, John Pence. Is Mike Pence going to flee the country with them? I think we're setting up some really interesting times here. Tom Harbin here with you. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. So uh, what's on the mind of our ex-intelligence officer here, Dave? You were talking about Mike Flynn and the judge. Look, I Mm -hmm. have, (laughs) for personal reasons, more than anything, I have put a lot of thought into this. But simply put, Donald Trump and Mike Flynn are more dangerous, in my opinion, to national security than, say, Edward Snowden. The motive behind Snowden was his perception of the law. Okay, he perceived the law, you know, a certain way. Trump he thought the federal Flynn, government was breaking the law, right? Right. Trump and Flynn. I mean, I'm not saying that's right. Okay, and the, the, the problem with Snowden is he's a lot smarter and has a lot more specific information. The whole thing reminds me of the Rosenberg case, okay? The Rosenbergs never really provided Russia with any useful intel. The Russians needed technical specifications. The Rosenbergs just didn't have the physics background to provide useful information for them. But anyways, without getting into all that, I believe that Trump and Flynn are far more dangerous because Flynn I have known for years. I respect your Christianity, Tom, and I don't want you to take this offensively. But Flynn is a different type of Christian than you. Flynn is a fanatic, and he basically just doesn't care. He doesn't view the United States government as a a legitimate Christian government anymore. And he has all kinds of knowledge to share. All right. And he just doesn't care. He doesn't recognize the law. It would be like if you gave up on what you believe and you decided the deepest thing you were going to talk about as a Christian in a Christian government is like is the multiverse in accordance with the Bible. Like I heard on a religious channel the other day, they were talking about the multiverse, if it's Christian or not. It's pretty deep. I'm not going to lie to you. It was pretty deep. But it would be like you It would be like you accepting that. Like that's all Tom Hartman's going to yeah. talk about. Now. But, but to your point, my, Dave, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To my point. My point is, is, you know, also I I spent the week in Portland doing some training with a couple of different Trumpers. One was a truther and the other, she was just a denier. This gave me a big insight. Look, yes, just this week. And it gave me a big insight. Look, this Trump movement is exactly like the Taliban. And General Milley just met with the Taliban this week. And I, I, Dave doesn't know everything. Like, I was always against higher level officers. Well, you know, the Taliban, the Taliban openly endorsed Donald Trump for president. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Publicly. And here's, right, and here's my main point. The Taliban has staying power because they want the impetus of power to be at the top. And I heard a medical doctor talk about Trump's response to the vaccine. This medical doctor said it was almost like Trump was demanding his right to not be in charge. Now, everybody kind of poo-pooed that comment because the guy was a medical doctor. But I'm like, this medical doctor is right. I've seen it a million times. I saw it in Afghanistan. I saw it in Iraq. When everything goes south, when all the plans, the meticulous plans fall apart because of the actions of a few fanatics with a shadow government behind them, All right. When all of it falls apart, leaders just want to be left alone. They want to talk about using their uh, protein shakes at the gym, what kind of music they prefer. They don't want to talk about IEDs going off. They don't want to talk about the hard stuff. They are. And this is what's worrying me about Trump with Russian help and assistance, money in the form of money, forming a, a tyrannical sort of government, shadow government. Unfortunately, there's 70 million Trumpers. And, and, and people yeah. couldn't even say I'm prejudiced. They could say, well, well, what have you got against Afghans and their yeah. tendency towards... Dave, I, I, you know, I get what you're saying. I think, though, that it's important that we realize that there's not 70 million Trumpers. There's 70 million people who voted for Donald Trump. But a good chunk of them voted for Donald Trump because they want abortion to be illegal. Another good portion of them voted for Donald Trump because they're afraid that the Democrats are going to you know, pass laws against assault weapons and, and, and things like that. Another big chunk of them voted for Donald Trump because you know they live in an area where they think that Donald Trump represents NASCAR 
country music and 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 you know the American way of life. Um, there's another chunk of them who voted for Donald Trump just purely out of racism. And then you've got some people who voted for Donald Trump because they still believe that he's the one guy who's willing to stand up to China and bring our jobs back. And there's a, you know, and, and there's a fair amount of evidence that that might be the case. Not that he's actually doing it with any effect, but he's talking about it at least. So we make a big mistake if we think of Trump voters as a monolithic group. No, that's, that's true. They're not a monolithic group, and we have to respect them, and we have to try to communicate with them. Because if we don't, the shadow government, like I said, I think they're going to do it. They're going to pick a more effective Trump. If you understand what I'm saying, it's not going to be Donald oh, yeah. Trump. And, and then it's we're going to be Tom fly, Cotton right? or somebody and like remember, we will Remember, we have nuclear weapons, and so does Russia. That's a big difference. Bill in St. Helens, Oregon. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? preemptive pardons, the constitutionally questionable preemptive pardons, and my position was that the crime should still be investigated, prosecuted, and if it comes out to that convicted, and your answer, Tom, I personally think your answer is a very dangerous answer to democracy. Your answer was, no, we should not waste a dollar of the taxpayers' money pursuing these crimes. It's just a waste. There's no point. Well, you know what? Nixon that was, was not my answer, everything. Bill. You, you, you said, I don't think the taxpayers would want to see this money. You did. You said, I don't want think taxpayers want their money spent for pointless prosecutions. That's what you said. I did not say that. Or you if did. I did, I was hallucinating. I mean, I, it, it's, uh, I, I can't imagine my saying that. What I recall of that conversation was, I don't remember the details of the Ford pardon. And I mm-hmm. wanted to look it up. And I did. Over the weekend, I pulled up the Ford pardon. I read the whole thing. It was time limited. It specified the day that Nixon became president and the day that he left the White House. And they said, basically, he's pardoned for all crimes he may have committed during that period of time. It didn't go before that period of time and it didn't go after that period of time. No, we were talking about the current practice of of letting people do preemptive pardons. And my okay, if I said that, Bill, I was wrong. And if you thought I said that and I didn't say that, I'm sorry if I was imprecise. But I would, you know, no, I, I, I think it's. You know, the idea that the American people would not want to pay, you know, a Congress may not appropriate money for it, you know, with Mitch McConnell in the Senate. But if the crimes of the Trump administration are not investigated, get ready for a hell of a lot more of them. I, I was shocked at your answer. I was, that's the only reason I'm calling back. Either I misunderstood your question or you misunderstood my answer, Bill, because I've never okay. taken that position. Nixon was pardoned for everything, and so he was ultimately pardoned for nothing. A preemptive pardon, Tom, a preemptive pardon is just a preemptive cover-up because there's nothing, if they're not investigated and prosecuted and convicted, there's nothing coercive to dissuade future crimes. There's just absolutely nothing. And it's also, to me, a matter of history. It's so important that we know what crimes were pardoned, and we know that they were pardoned under a preemptive pardon. I think that's the way you kill preemptive pardoning, is showing what horrific cover-up tool it would ultimately show to be. And I'm sorry, Tom, I really did. It's what I heard when you said it, because you said, I just don't see the American people wanting to pay for pointless prosecutions. That's what I heard you saying. And I just, I'm sorry. Hmm. That's obviously that's stuck in my craw. I must have misunderstood your question then. I must have, you know, I just, I'd have to go back and play it, which I'm not going to do. If I said that in answer to your question, I must have misunderstood your question because that would just be so wrong. I completely agree with you, Bill. If you don't punish people for crimes, you are telling other people, you know, like the Tom Cottons and Josh Hawley's of the world who want to be the next president or the Ted Cruz's of the world. Hey, you can get away with this. You might even be able to get away with more. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you, Tom. I needed to hear that. I really did. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome, Bill. And, and, and uh, again, I, I'm sorry if, if uh, anything I did contributed to confusion on your part or on the part of any of you who are listening. Just to be very clear, this guy needs to be nailed. Uh, Letitia James is going to go after him, even if he doesn't get nailed at the federal level. The Trump crime family needs to be held to account for the crimes that they have committed, the ones that we know about, and we need to find out about the ones that we don't know about, like we're just now starting to learn that Laura Trump and Mike Pence's nephew have a $900 million slush fund. Sherry in South Hadley, Massachusetts. Hey, Sherry, what's up? I wanted to ask your opinion about the SolarWinds computer hack. From what I see, and I see very little, that the multiple government agencies and utility companies have been hacked into, And given the history of the people who are still in office, after firing the security experts, 
and blocking information from the Biden transition and the history of Trump's relationship with Russia, this feels like huge news, but nobody's talking about it. Yeah. The details that I believe I know, I mean, I'm not inside government, so I can't say I know this from firsthand experience, but what I've read in the papers, incredible newspapers, is that starting in 2002, the George W. Bush administration decided that every federal agency should not have their own internal security department. And I'm real familiar with this. One of my brothers is in charge of internet security for the Supreme Court of the state of Michigan, or was before he retired. So, you know, it used to be that every department maintained their own security. There was larger agencies that helped out, but, you know, everybody had their own. And George W. Bush was on a privatized kick. Let's take our federal money and give it to companies that give money to Republicans. And so we ended up with one company, SolarWinds, that was providing security, security technology, basically software, to virtually every federal agency. And ultimately, on the strength of, hey, the federal government likes us, you should too, they were able to sell their services to most of the Fortune 500 companies and hospitals and all, you know, groups all over the country. SolarWinds was pushing out updates to their software periodically. You know how you get operating system updates on your computer periodically, where Microsoft or Apple says, okay, here's an update, you gotta restart your computer. The server that SolarWinds was using to send out those updates had as its password, SolarWinds123. And apparently the Russians figured that out, hacked that update server, and inserted into the next update that went out, and this was like nine months ago or thereabouts, inserted into that update a virus or a piece of malware that basically opened a back door on everybody's security system so that the Russians could come in and they could see everything, they could delete information, they could read emails, they could even spoof people, they could, they could send emails pretending to be people, they could start a war if they wanted that way. And that's everything I know about it, Sherry, uh, you know, other than the fact that everybody is scrambling and nobody knows how much damage has been done. But I, I think that in my mind, a lot of the responsibility for this goes back to George W. Bush and the Republican Party's obsession, which started in 1980, with ending government employees, no longer having unionized government employees do things and instead hiring contractors that don't have unions and that, you know, and that pay kickbacks, huge kickbacks in the form of campaign contributions to politicians. Does that make sense, Sherry? It did does. I answer your question? It I guess is the question. You did. But I think my biggest concern, too, is, is this the last gift that Trump is offering to the Russians? I mean, did he facilitate what? somehow for this to happen at this point in time? Um, well, he certainly crippled our ability to respond to it. I mean, he fired Chris Krebs. He hired the guy who was in charge of Internet security. And there's nobody in that yeah. job right now. Right. I mean, this is right. one of the problems, at least with regard to our election systems. And he's put a bunch of uh, political hacks and bozos, some of them in their 20s and 30s in charge of the Pentagon so that he can block Joe Biden from knowing what's going on. Again, yeah, I, I think so, Sherry. I think so. Maybe not. Yes, absolutely. Maybe not intentionally or explicitly, but yes, absolutely. Sherry, thank you. James in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, James, what's up? I served in the Army Security Agency a very old, long time ago. I wondered if you could expound on the term sedition some more. Sedition is encouraging the overthrow of a legitimate government. Okay. Is pretty it not? Interesting. I agree, and um, I, I think that I'm pretty uh, sure that's the dictionary definition. Exactly, and and uh, I think that education is getting in the way here uh, of everything that's gone wrong for the last forty years or since Reaganomics set in. And and, and I'd like to refer you since to Bill Bennett killed civics civics education in our elementary and high schools. Exactly. Reagan, exactly. Uh, Reagan Secretary right. of Education, Bill Bennett. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. My and, wife keeps saying that on my tombstone, it's going to say it all started with Reagan. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, but I, I'd like to refer you to uh, President Scary Clown's speech of uh, September 17th on education. Whose speech? The speech on education of September. Whose 17th. speech was that, James? President Trump's. Oh, Trump's speech. Okay, I'll check it out. James, thank you for the call. Interesting. 
Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. John in Roselle, Illinois. Hey, John, what's on your mind? I woke up this morning and had a thought and it, it worried me. It actually couldn't get, I couldn't get back to sleep. I, I, I was wondering, with the relief package that just got passed by Congress and Trump only having maybe one more opportunity to use his bully pulpit, which will be when he's supposed to sign that package, he had come out before saying, oh, I want $2,400 checks to go out to everybody. What's to stop him from saying, I'm not going to sign this. It's not enough money. Force Congress to either go into a special session or really throw pandemonium into um, everything about our economy and, you know. I doubt he'll do that because this is legislation that, I mean, it takes a two-thirds vote of the House and Senate to overturn a presidential veto. And I don't think that Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi would have any problem getting two-thirds of the House and Senate to vote to override a Trump veto. There are so many goodies in this package for big corporations that the Republicans will go along with it. And of course, for the Democrats, it's like $300 a week for, for the next few months until March and a $600 one-time payment for people. And finally, you know, an aggressive loan program targeting small businesses instead of giant corporations, although the airlines did get their $18 billion carve up. But I think it's popular enough on both sides. Uh, I guess that's the upside of the, uh, of the whole let's compromise thing, you know. It's so popular on both sides that I don't think a Trump veto is going to be of any consequence. The other thing to keep an eye on is the uh, NDAA, the National Defense Authorization. This is required by the Constitution, which says that we may not have an army more than two years during times of peace, which arguably there is no declaration of war right now. So this is technically a time of peace. You may not have an army for more than two years without Congress reauthorizing it every two years. And Rand Paul, right, I tweeted about this a little earlier, Rand Paul is sitting in the Senate so that they can't, it's a whole technical thing, but he's trying to screw this all up. And if he can screw it up badly enough, I admit a, a certain amount of ambivalence about this because it's a bloated military spending bill that I'm not happy about at all. But that's one that really might cause some problems. He's trying to mess with the Senate using the Senate rules. So those are the, you know, those are the two big kind of legislative things. But, but Trump doesn't seem to be paying attention to anything except his crackpots. I mean, he tweeted in all caps, you know, there was a last minute ballot dump in the swing states, blah, blah, all of which is untrue. I mean, he's just, he's just lying through his teeth. The Facebook lies have turned into Trump lies. And now he's got, you know, these people with him. So those are my thoughts. John, thank you for the call. Those are my thoughts on that. Richard in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, I was sitting here and thinking when you were talking about negligent homicide um, earlier concerning Trump and all of his minions, green murder by depraved indifference. I'm That's a term that is a state term. 
I mean, you know, some states have that, and yeah. other states use different language to describe that. Um, I don't think that murder is a federal crime. I know that before Kennedy was assassinated, murder was not a federal crime. They probably mm -hmm. have added murder to it, but maybe not with that kind of nuance. Um, but, uh, you know, there has to be some kind of accountability. I, I would think that any state, any individual state, would have standing to charge Trump and his allies, Trump, Pence, Alex Azar, the HHS secretary, um, the, uh, Robert Redfield, the guy running the CDC, uh, Scott Atlas. Yes. Uh, you know, there's a half a dozen of these guys in the White House who very clearly decided that killing, not just letting a third of a million Mar Americans die, but actively encouraging the death of a third of a million of Americans. And frankly, by the time Joe Biden can do anything serious about this, you know, the middle of January, probably going to be a half million Americans because we're in exponential growth right now. And not to and mention the, the damage it's done to our hospitals. Yeah, and our, yeah, there you go. And, and I mean, you know, we've lost several thousand doctors now. We've lost probably ten, tens of thousands, God only knows, of nurses and other hospital workers. These are the people on the front lines and, and you know, your EMTs, your cops, your firefighters. Uh, they're, they're dropping like flies all over the country. And this was, this is an official policy of this administration. It was also the official policy of the, of, of the Boris Johnson conservative government in the UK for a few months. And that's why the UK has a death rate, a COVID death rate over 900, just like we do. Whereas again, South Korea is 12 per million dead from COVID. We're over 900, so is the UK. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like this, this I, I'm with you, Richard. I, I, I don't know the mechanism. I don't know how it would be done. Um, I think at the very least, we need a non-prosecutorial 9-11 style commission to say what the hell happened. But I want these guys held to account. I want them prosecuted. I don't want any future president ever. I agree 100 percent. Yeah, that they can preside over the death of more Americans than, than have died in any any war since the Civil War. I mean, that and, and by the time this is over, we'll have more dead Americans than died in the Civil War on both sides. So, yeah, I'm with you. Richard, thank you for the call. Steve in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Hey, Steve, what's up? Hey, I was just wondering at what point does this become prosecutable? What point does this become truly criminal, uh, this, this hijacking of the democratic system? Um, not, not just for so you're, you're Trump, talking about Trump's uh, attempt to overthrow the government, overthrow the election, as opposed to letting people die. Well, I think they're, which right. I think are both criminal. And, but, and, yeah. and not only that, but like everybody that's in league with him, all these mm -hmm. uh, senators and congressmen, 126 Republicans who co-signed his his uh, his so-called uh, lawsuit before the Supreme Court. Right. So does this become criminal on the 20th when he's already ordered the army to do something ridiculous? Or does this become criminal, you know, before that so that we can intercede before there's dude blood in the streets? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know, Steve. Um, we're we're in territory for which there is no precedent. No American president in the history of the republic has lied to the American people like this throughout the four years of his presidency. No American president in the history of the Republic has taken the side of foreign governments, in this case specifically Russia, Saudi Arabia, covering up Khashoggi's murder, covering up the Russian involvement in the, in the elections and, and, and now you know, penetrating our, our, uh, our government agencies. Um, and, and other governments as well. You know, Trump praising Kim Jong-un, um, you know, sucking up to, to Bolsonaro and to Duterte. And yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's no American president has ever expressed, you know, love and admiration for dictators. It's just it's right. it's not done. And and then no American president has ever taken a specific action. This isn't neglect. This is a specific action to cause the death of hundreds of thousands of Americans. It's literally never happened. And no American president has ever made false claims and repeatedly lied from the White House using the authority of the office of president of the United States to assert that, that uh, Americans across the board, including in his own party, 
are engaging in widespread election fraud simply to keep him from getting, you know, from holding power. No American president has ever had a meeting in the, in the Oval Office, at least that we know of. Um, and and I'm, I think I can say this with some certainty. It's never happened where they discussed using the military to overturn an election. I mean, this is insane right. stuff, Steve. Uh, we I are know, in brand new and uncharted big. territory, and, and it's going to be a, and Steve, thank you for the call. It's going to be a hell of a challenge for the Biden administration to figure out what to do about this. This is not Jerry Ford, Richard Nixon here. Ken in Lafayette, Colorado. Hey, Ken, what's up? Hi, good morning, Tom. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so the question here, um, and you've mentioned this, and I hear the national news say, uh, Trump is considering, you know, running again in 2024. So my question is, why is that even a serious topic of discussion? And, and how is that even, would that even be possible that he would even be allowed to run again with everything from his violations of the emoluments clause to his, you know, treason, what have you, et cetera, et cetera. So <clears throat> I don't understand why is that even the topic that he's, <clears throat> excuse me, considering to rerun. Thank you. He's running a grift, you know. I mean, he, he's, he's a grifter. He's been a grifter his whole life. He's, he was running real estate grifts before, you know, laundering money for foreign autocrats and, 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 and working with mobsters and stuff like that. That grift kind of ran out now with his presidency because, number one, the real estate market sucks. And number two, um, everybody has figured out that, you know, he was laundering money. In fact, he may well be charged with crimes for that. So he's got a new grift. He's he's he, at first you know it's it's kind of a, a a melding of Pat Robertson and and uh, Ron Paul um, you know the perpetual political uh, ask for money and the I will save your soul send me money Pat Robertson is worth a billion dollars from running this grift on on people who are you know who 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 who, uh, who believe his shtick, you know, uh, who, who think that his, he represents Christianity. And I don't, you know, and, and I don't think that Pat Robertson even remotely represents anything that Jesus would recognize, number one. And, and number two, you got people like Ron Paul, uh, who, and not, you know, Rand's dad, who literally made a career out of asking people for money so that they could do political things. Trump is going to say, he, actually, I don't think he's going to announce that he's going to run for president in 2024 at any point officially, because that would require registering with the Federal Election Commission, and then he would have oversight. Right now, he has no oversight. So he's going to, quote, run for 2024, but he's not going to do it real. He's not going to do it officially. And the Republican Party, I guarantee you, once he's out, he's going to turn their back on him because they realize that he's become toxic and they're just going to go back to their grift of, of sucking up to big corporations. But Trump has, you know, I mean, he's brought in over $400 million since he lost the election, mostly from, you know, elderly people who watch Fox News. I got, I got five emails this morning when I woke up in my inbox from Donald Trump and members of his family asking for money. They all point, and one, and one that was a survey question, you know, all of them pointed to the same page where 75% of the money goes to, to Donald Trump's own private super PAC uh, it's called a leadership pack. It had they have the very loosest rules of all the packs, where he just gets to keep the money basically and use it however. Yeah, there's some small limitations, but basically use it however he wants. And 25% is going going to Ron, Ron, uh, uh, Romney McDaniel, the head of the RNC. And you know, so the Republican Party is going along with the grift as long as they are. But I guarantee you that after January 20th. 100% of that money is going to go to Trump, and he's just going to continue. If he can pull down 100, 100 million bucks a month, he's in fat city. He's only $400 million in debt that's personally guaranteed. I mean, he's a billion dollars in debt overall that, that the New York Times can find. But he's got $400 million of that that's personally guaranteed. I think he's raised that money just since he lost the election to pay off that debt. But, you know, we'll see. But I, you know, this, this is what I think is going on. I, I think that what we are looking at here is a grift of epic proportions, um, uh, really epic proportions. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Dave, oh, geez, we've got a, about a minute, a little more than a minute. Dave, can you be uh, succinct? Yeah. Hey, Tom, I was, uh, was going to talk about this uh, whimper in a bang thing. I think it's going to go out with a with a whimper. And I'll tell you why. If, if you look at, like, um, 
General Barry McCaffrey, who I disagree with a lot. And in your show, your show helped me out with this. McCaffrey said that Trump's putting these surrogates over at the Pentagon, about, and it's about the money. Now, at first I was like, McCaffrey, there's no way they would grift or try to take money from the Pentagon. No, they're trying to hide expenditures. Look, Trump is going to have his White House at Mar-a-Lago, Tom. Russia, maybe even Turkey, because Turkey's mad about Galen. Turkey, Russia, a bunch of them are going to help Trump kind of have this shadow um, government. That's oh, it's Saudi Arabia. Like- Trump is talking about stopping the lawsuit against the Saudi crown prince for murdering uh, Khashoggi. Well, and let me just come right to the point, man. Joe Biden, thanks to Trump, Joe Biden is going to face almost insurmountable challenges in these four years. And to make matters worse, he's going to have this pest, this this like shadow uh, regime, Trump regime, with the White House being at Mar-a-Lago, their White House being at Mar-a-Lago, doing nothing. But we used to say a toad in the road. That's what we used to say in the military, right? Trump is going to be the Mm -hmm. ultimate quintessential toad in the road. And we're all going to... we're all going to uh, be harmed by it. Yeah, to pay for it. Yeah, I'm with you, Dave, and I think that that's a, a solid and insightful analysis. Dave, thank you for the call. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. David in Canterbury, Connecticut. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, good to talk to you. I love you. I love your Hidden History series. I've been using it Thank to you. Teach, teach and inform. I hope you don't mind. I, you know, passing it on, Please. Tom. It's just, yeah, I love it. Yeah. But anyway, I called yeah. to tell you a quick story about uh, my family fighting fascism and tie it all together nicely for you. Uh, I'll start with my dad. He spent three years in the South Pacific. He suffered very, very much. Nine ships mm-hmm. in his squadron went to uh, the South Pacific Christmas Eve, 1942, 19, May of 1945, three ships came back. Dad was on one of them. It was just a matter of numbers and tremendous suffering. But uh, he was a smart guy. He knew what was going on. He knew what he was fighting. And six years prior to that, my grandfather, a mill worker in, in my town of Putnam, in, in 1935, and there was, a, there was a strike. And they were selling, a, Belling Hemingway was selling a lot of, parachute cord to the Germans. The workers knew it, and they didn't like it. But that was just one issue of the strike. And uh, anyway, they mm. locked them out. They locked my granddad out, and it was a classic battle. They, the workers were on one side of the street in the Polish-American club, and the boss was on the other side of the street with the cops and the fire hoses. And it, was, it was a battle. Uh, so they were, they were fighting the fascists uh, right there in the town of Putnam. And Governor Wilbur Cross at the time uh, sent the uh, Bristol National Guard to Putnam, uh, 500 strong, with bayonets glistening in the sun. I, I wrote that in a piece for, uh, that I wrote for a paper at UConn. And uh, when, I was, when I was up there, my professor loved it. And he sent, them from, he sent them from Bristol because he couldn't send the guard from Danielson 
that was only five miles away and they were related. And if there was any blood to be had, they, they weren't going to stick their own brothers and sisters, you know. So the governor was very smart in dividing workers, as they always do. So needless to say, my, grand, my granddad was fighting the fascists at the Belling Hemingway. And, and moving forward, my, my dad in World War II uh, fought the fascists. And, and there's his name on the bridge at Belling Hemingway, right, Tom? That my dad, wow. as a veteran, uh, uh, ties it all together right there where my granddad fought the fascists in town. My dad fought him in the South Pacific. There's his name on the bridge right now, uh, and he's passed away many years. But I, I just love it, and, and, and I think it ties together, Tom. That's, so that's all I got to say. That's a great story, David. Thanks for sharing it with us. It's great to hear from you. George in Garden City, Kansas. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, I'd like to get your take on this preemptive pardoning that Trump or the White mm-hmm. House is is blundering about. Or, you know, how far can they take that? Can, like, Donnie Jr. go out and get in all the trouble he wants in the world and say, hey, I'm going to get a preemptive pardon. I can do what I want right now. Or how many are going to get preemptive pardons, or is that even legal? Well, the pardons are not going to pardon future criminal behavior. What they're going to pardon is past criminal behavior that is not yet known about. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. They must think something's been going on, or they wouldn't be bandering that about. They they know something <laughs> these people have all your bottom done. dollar, George. And, yeah. And I've never heard of preemptive pardoning. So I just wanted to get your take on that. I think it's a load of bull. Well, I think Jerry be- Ford did a little bit of that with Nixon, George. He, 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 he pardoned Nixon for the specific crimes that he was being going to be charged with in the articles of, of uh, impeachment that were being drafted against him. But his pardon also said any other crimes. Keep in mind, Richard Nixon had taken a half million dollar bribe from the milk lobby. He'd taken a million dollar bribe from Jimmy Hoffa to not prosecute him for the Sun Valley land deal. Um, we don't know about all the other bribes Nixon had been taking, but he was really into taking bribes from people in cash. I mean, these, these people brought, you know, br- briefcases filled with $100 bills to the White House. So Jerry Ford pardoned him not just for the stuff that they knew about, but for anything that he had done in the past. And that's, that's the kind of pardon. They used to call it a blanket pardon. Uh, that's what they're talking about. Um, and I agree with you. It's, you know, there's something really sleazy going on in the Trump crime family where they wouldn't even be talking about this right now. And they're using this rationalization. Well, Joe Biden may go after my kids. Really? Really? This is the Tom Hartman program. You know, like, uh, you know, during during the campaign, it was Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. Now it's I'm going to pardon my children. Pretty weird, huh? Charles in Hollywood. Hey, Charles, what's in your mind? These militias, uh, these right-wing militias mm. and uh, <clears throat> armed protesters and, you know, representing Donald Trump and the Republican Party. First of all, they're supposed to be Christians. And, um, to well, be third, they claim they are. Well, yeah, they claim they are. But what I mean is uh, when we take over, if we, you know, everything goes well, I think the Congress has to <clears throat> set up some type of committee that's going to look into investigating these um, these militias. And also, one more last thing before I, I go. They want to, the, the Republicans are claiming that we want to, you know, um, help all of the people that's undocumented so that they'll turn around and be um, Democratic voters. Well, the Republicans, they have a Trojan horse that's going on right now. And it's basically... Um, everybody that comes from Cuba, um, you know, they they know that these they know that they can um, win them over by saying that Democrats are communists, and unfortunately, right. you know, those folks when they come over they actually do vote Republican, and they're not being counted as undocumented, but the Republicans are steady filling their ranks. If you look at the last, well, they're day, not undocumented. Right, right. You know, no, we no, passed a law that says that if you if you can make it from Cuba to the United States and put one foot on our land, you are instantly granted the opportunity for citizenship, no questions asked. And and you're right, Charles. These these uh, uh, Cuban ancestry uh, Hispanics in Florida, um, you know, a, lar- a, a noticeable percentage of them. I think it was over 35 percent. Some very high percentage of them voted for Trump. 
That said, though, there's also, and this is completely flying below everybody's radar, there's been an explosion, particularly in Texas and Florida, of right-wing conservative Spanish-language radio. And that's, I think, the biggest factor that's driving this stuff. I hope I didn't blow up your argument, Charles. Back to you. Well, no, 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 but what I mean is that whether it's the Cubans or anyone else coming, um, you know, from Latin America, that this um, country has experienced any bit of communism. You know, um, they're targeting these these folks, and they're, of course, portraying Democrats as the bad guys who want to turn America communist. And I just think if we can delve through that and we can break through that, through that lie, those lies, we may be able, to, may be able to, to get some of those voters to actually, you know, come over to our side and realize that, you know, um, their, 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 dream of, their dream of being progressive as well and enjoying you know, um, what progressives have done in this country to make America better will also get them to vote Democratic. Sure. I hope you're right, Charles. And I think that, you know, what you're speaking to really emphasizes the need for a genuine progressive messaging machine uh, beyond just this show. Thank you, Charles. Uh, Lauren in Morris, Illinois. Hey, Lauren, what's up? I was wondering if you could explain all the executions going on on death row all of a sudden why mm-hmm. what is going on why is that happening we have not had federal executions uh, i believe since the end of the bush administration i'm i'm pretty sure that obama put a moratorium on federal executions and so mm-hmm. the uh, you know there's a line right now and one of mm-hmm. those cases is a young man uh, he was uh, sentenced to death uh, i think he was under 20 at the time and he's been on death row for something like half his life now. You know, he's in his late 30s or 40s. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. I was just reading about his case yesterday. Um, but it's popping up all over. <coughs> Excuse me. And he's supposed to be executed tonight, I believe. And uh, there's new evidence and there's people suggesting he was not just denied good uh, representation, but that he may well even be innocent. Um, uh, I think that what Trump is doing and Bill Barr is doing, you know, Bill Barr, the great uh, Catholic savior who speaks to right-wing Catholic groups who calls himself pro-life, uh, is they just want to kill as many people as possible because they delight in it and they know that their base delights in it. I, I see no other possible explanation for what's going on other than politics. That, that and this it's is happening their right shot. now. It's happening yes. right now before he leaves office. That's, That's his plan? That's correct. One of them, at, at least one of them I know is planned for tonight. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what he's doing. Lauren, I got to run, but thank you. Um, it's it's uh, right up there with putting kids in cages, in, in my mind. I mean, just it's it's gratuitous violence for violence sake. And not only is he not only is he killing them, but Trump issued an executive order bringing back the firing squads for the purpose of killing them. And of course, in the case that I was talking about, the guy who uh, was perhaps wrongly convicted was African-American. Is anybody shocked? Nancy in Woodland, California. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind today? Hi. Um, yeah, we've been talking about McConnell a lot today and, you know, sitting on legislation, not letting bills go through and so forth. And I'm just wondering, is there a way of changing the rules so that that position is not so all-powerful. I mean, I understand the need for shepherding legislation through Congress and that sort of thing, but I mean, it doesn't seem right that one person, you know, I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican, can just sit on bills and not let anything happen. Yeah. It wouldn't be legislation. It would be a change in the Senate rules. Um, The Senate rules have evolved over the years to give the Senate Majority Leader more and more and more power. And by over years, I'm talking about over 100 years. Lyndon Johnson, when he was Senate Majority Leader, used this power with uh, brutality is not quite the right word because it has a negative connotation. He just used that. He was a master at using power. Uh, mm-hmm. Lyndon Johnson was, and then and then um, and now you've got Mitch McConnell, who is uh, as good as Lyndon Johnson was at using the power of his position, and that power is conferred to them by the Senate rules. The Constitution says that both bodies, the House and the Senate shall each come up with their own set of rules, that those rules shall be re-ratified every two years when a new Congress is, is seated. And uh, in fact, that's the first order of business. And that uh, you know they have to conduct themselves by those rules, but that those rules can be changed with a simple majority vote at any time, which is how Mitch McConnell got rid of the filibuster for judges, for example, and how Harry Reid got rid of the filibuster for the Supreme Court. 
So, or no, uh, Harry Reid was judges and Mitch McConnell was the Supreme Court. But whichever, you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So um, the problem is that under the Senate rules right now, Mitch McConnell has all the power to influence the Senate rules. He, he would have to be the one who says, okay, today we're going to vote on the Senate rules. And that ain't going to happen. He's not, he's not going to change those rules that would diminish his power. The um, one thing that I think is, possible, is a possibility, Nancy, and I've been doing a deep dive on this for two weeks. I've been talking about it on the air for a couple of weeks now. And there's a few constitutional scholars who are gung-ho on this and others who are very, very skeptical, which is why I have not yet published an op-ed on this topic, is that the Constitution, nowhere in the Constitution does it mention Senate Majority Leader. Mitch McConnell is not exercising constitutional power beyond the fact that the Senate rules give him that power. And the, and the Constitution does say that the Senate shall create their own rules. So um, he's in a position that is not literally a constitutional position. It's indirectly. Whereas the Constitution does say that the vice president is the president of the Senate. And Dick Cheney used that to claim that he was not a member of the executive branch and therefore was not subject to con some congressional subpoenas and things like that because he was the president of the Senate and that was more important than being vice president. And that's never been resolved by the Supreme Court. But I'm of the personal opinion that Kamala Harris can walk into the Senate and say, uh, sorry, Mitch, I'm the president of the Senate. I'm going to recognize Bernie Sanders uh, you know, for five minutes to bring forward a piece of legislation that we're all going to vote on. I'm going to recognize Elizabeth Warren to bring, you know, I'm going to recognize uh, Amy Klobuchar, uh, that she could just walk in and take over. And, you know, there are others saying, no, you can't do that. It would be a violation of the rules of the Senate. I think that the Constitution's primary assertion overrules a secondary level of power through the Senate rules. But I may be wrong, but that's how I would do it. Listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.